So today is part three of this teaching called The Effects of Praise. I've had fun teaching this. It is based on a book by one of my favorites, Andrew Womack. And the gist of the teaching is that praise is very, very powerful and very effectual. The first week I talked about the effect of praise on God. That was a week where it was almost, um, not almost, it was awe-inspiring to just stand in this place of realizing how much our praise blesses God, how much our praise means to him, how it makes him happy. Think about a parent. God is our father. He is our parent. And as parents, we love our kids so much, there's no words to even describe our love. God loves us that much and a hundred, hundred, hundred times more. When we love our kids, it means so much when they love us back, when they express their love for us back. Maybe it's thanks, thankfulness. Maybe it's just wanting to be with us. Maybe it's having heart-to-heart talks with them. Maybe it's them writing a card. I brought the card that Megan wrote to me at Christmas after her AT, her Appalachian Trail hike, and it just, it just blessed me so much. It's like that with God. Our relationship with him isn't just about service. Service isn't the only thing we can do for God. Yes, he wants us to serve. Yes, he wants us to minister to his people. But that's not the top of the list. Relationship with him is number one. Ministry is not synonymous. It's not the same thing as relationship with God. There are two different things. And first place is relationship with him and loving him. So the first benefit of praise, the first effect of praise is upon God himself. It's weird to think of God having a need. But he does. And his need is our love. He created us for that reason. He created us for fellowship. And he wants our love. He needs our love. He desires our love. So that's the first effect of praise that I talked about two weeks ago. Or actually, it was a while ago. Then the second one I talked about last week is the effect of praise on us as the praisers. And I'm just going to give a quick synopsis. When we praise God, we are gifted supernatural peace. And that peace guards our heart, our emotions, and our thinking. And we need that. Boy, can those worried thoughts get in there and just jumble up everything, right? But when we're praising God, our our mind is guarded. Our hearts are guarded. So you may be feeling sad or discouraged or depressed or frustrated or angry or whatever. But when you're praising God, your heart is guarded with that peace. Another benefit of praise is inner strength. That's a good one. We need strength. There's many times I've been there when I've been in the midst of a really difficult time and I don't feel strong at all. In fact, I feel the opposite. I feel really, really weak. When I praise God, I get inner strength. I use the example of that water bottle that you take on the plane, the plain old water bottle like you get in the grocery store, the cheap ones. And when you take them on a plane... And you get up in the air and you start descending. They just get crushed. Because the pressure on the outside is greater than the pressure on the inside. And the analogy I used is that when we praise God, we don't look like that bottle. We don't get crushed by the pressure on the outside. Because we're built up and strengthened on the inside. And it's nothing that we're doing to be superheroes. 
It's God doing it. It's, it's one of the benefits of praise. Another benefit of praise is that our perspective is correct. In this world, usually our perspe- the world's perspective isn't correct. In the world, we see the problem as way bigger than everything else. It's bigger in our face. It's bigger in our, 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 our lives. There might be pain. There might be medical expenses. There might be uh, doctors, lots of stuff doing, going on with doctors, and that's big. But the truth is that God is way bigger. Amen. Yeah. And when we praise him, we have the proper perspective because our focus is on him. We're magnifying him, exalting him. And the, the perspective is is positioned the right way. Another benefit of praise is that what I already talked about is faith. Faith can flow without obstruction. So there's a lot of benefits for ourselves. God is such a big God. We give to him, and yet we can't outgive him. When we praise, that's what we're doing. We're giving to him, but in the midst of it, we're being gifted all of those things that I just mentioned. And if you weren't here and you want to listen to that teaching, it's, we just posted it on the website yesterday or today. Today, though, we're going to talk about the third piece. And this is amazing. Today we're going to talk about the effects of praise on the enemy. Here's a really, really simple lesson that I have so deep in me that there's, I, it's unquestionable. I am so convinced, and I want you to be too. I draw a line in the sand. If there's something that's bad, something that's not good, something that's, that's pain, sickness, disease, stealing, killing, destroying, whatever, it's the enemy, period. It's not God, period. If it's good, if it pertains to life, God says that he sent Jesus to give us life and a life of abundance. So if it's good, if it's full of love, peace, joy, fulfillment, it's God. Bad is the devil, good is God, period. Now today we're going to talk about fighting the enemy with praise. Praise is a powerful, powerful spiritual warfare. So if you look at your handout, this is a little synopsis. Praise is the greatest weapon we have against Satan and his daily onslaught. Daily um, um, missiles. The, the scripture in Ephesians says the darts. That's the word I'm looking for, the darts. Daily darts. Tim, could you turn this down just a teeny bit, please? Those darts that he seems to keep flinging. Praise is a, a weapon against those darts that seem to keep coming and, and trying to, take, to hit a target. Praise literally makes Satan flee in terror when we begin to praise God. I'm going to give you biblical evidence of that today. And then when the enemy flees, the anointing of God is free to flow. That river can flow without obstruction. The anointing destroys the yoke. We're going to be talking about that. So let's start right now with Isaiah 10:27. We're going to talk about what that means. The anointing destroys the yoke. This scripture was written before Jesus about 700 years before he was born. 
And it points to Jesus, the one who is going to be anointed by the Holy Spirit with power to destroy the yoke of the enemy, the yoke of Satan, the bondage of Satan, the oppression of the enemy. And this is a prophetic word, so let me read it to you. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. This word was written pointing to Jesus who was yet to be born. Now I want to, before I talk about Jesus, I want to define two words. I want to define the word yoke. That word yoke is a symbol of slavery, servanthood, forced subjection, burden, load, oppression, bondage to sin. That's the enemy's package, the stealing, killing, destroying. From the time of the fall of man until the redemption of Jesus, the enemy had, was, was, had legal dominion over us. He was in dominion. He was in control. But Jesus came to break that control. Jesus came to break that bondage. The bondage of sin that was keeping us separated from God, Jesus came to destroy the yoke with his anointing. The word destroy, this is good, that a Hebrew word means absolutely corrupted beyond use. The yoke of Satan, the oppression of Satan, absolutely corrupted beyond use. That means if he's throwing darts at you, he can't, they can't be effective if you know it. The only power the enemy has is the power we give him because that power has been absolutely corrupted beyond use completely ruined that bondage has been broken it's been destroyed it's been bound through jesus the anointing destroys the yoke of satan's oppression so let's look at what jesus did jesus the christ jesus the messiah acts 10:38 is a beautiful scripture that shows us that the prophetic word was fulfilled through Jesus. The book of Acts was written after Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected. So this is after the new covenant was, was um, uh, begun, was given to us. And this is the scripture. The apostles are teaching. They're sharing about Jesus. They're taking the good news everywhere. And they're, and they're telling people how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That's what Isaiah predicted. That's what Isaiah prophesied. So here's the one who he was prophesying about, Jesus of Nazareth. The one who was anointed to destroy the yoke of oppression. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit and with power. And he was anointed, and he, what did he do with it? He went about doing good. God is good, right? Amen. Amen. He went about doing good, and what did that look like? Healing. Healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Healing is a part of salvation. That's another amazing teaching. It is. 
God's will. It is part of what he died for. And it shows us this right here. He broke the yoke. He destroyed the yoke. And healing was part of the benefit. Amen. Amen. That's really good news. So I want to define the word anoint. Anoint is a verb. Jesus was anointed. The word anointed means consecration. When somebody is consecrated, they're set apart for a purpose. So Jesus was set apart for a purpose. He was sent to us, set apart and furnished with the necessary powers for the administration of the messianic office. He was prophesied. It was prophesied that he would be the Messiah, but he couldn't be the Messiah without the anointing. The word Messiah literally means anointing and the anointed one, Christ the Messiah, Christ the anointed one. That's the Hebrew word. The word Christ, Jesus the Christ, is the Greek word that's the equivalent. It means the same thing. Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, and he is anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. So Jesus came to fulfill the role, the administration of the Messiah. I want to just paint a picture for you right now of what distinguished Jesus from the rest of humanity while he walked on this earth. He was fully man. He was born a baby. He grew up. It says in the word that he grew up in wisdom and stature. He learned. He grew. He studied. It says in in, uh, one scripture, when he was about 12 years old, he went to Jerusalem with his mom and dad, and he sat with the teachers, and he was talking with them, and he was being fed, and he was discussing. I'm sure it was back and forth because he was the son of God. But he was growing in wisdom and stature. It wasn't until a certain time. I want to back up. I'm sorry. I want to back up. I want to to talk about these distinctions. And then I'm going to go to the Holy Spirit. So the first distinction of Jesus, different from all other men, is that he he was separated from sin. There was no sin on him. So he had complete, complete access to his father. That was the first distinction that made him different from everybody else during that time. The second distinction is that he had the Holy Spirit. He had the Holy Spirit, and he was completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. He was completely dependent to to carry out that messianic uh, calling on his life. He needed the Holy Spirit. Now, what I want to tell you about right now that I kind of got myself... um, ahead of myself a second ago. But what I want to tell you is when that happened, that anointing that that destroyed the yoke, it happened when he started his ministry. He was about 30 years old. If you want to make a, a, a note on your sheet, write down Luke 3 and Luke 4, because I'm going to just paraphrase this. But in Luke chapter 3, Jesus was baptized, water baptized by John the Baptist. And when he was water baptized, John said that he saw the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus like a dove. 
Now that is spoken about in all four Gospels. But I'm just referring to Luke right now because of these other, um, other pieces that I want to tie together. So the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and then he went to the desert. It says in Luke chapter 4, the beginning of the chapter, that he was led by the Spirit into the desert. He spent 40 days in the desert in fasting and prayer. Yup, the enemy attacked him. The enemy came and tempted him. He had been in prayer. He had been in fasting. He had the Holy Spirit. And he had the wisdom and the knowledge to know what to do. And he gave that enemy the word. He spoke the word of God, the truth of the word, to defeat the enemy's uh, tempting. He, didn't, he, was not, he did not receive that temptation. After 40 days, he came out of the desert full of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the wording in the scripture. He came out filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's when he started his ministry. The very next week, he went to the synagogue in Nazareth. They handed him the scroll of the scripture. He opened it up and he read Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 says that I am anointed to preach the gospel. I am anointed to heal the brokenhearted and to set the captives free. I'm paraphrasing right now, but it's that beautiful scripture that Jesus read that day. And then he rolled up the scroll and he said, today the scripture was fulfilled in your hearing. That's when his ministry started. That's when he began teaching. The Bible says that he taught in a way that everyone marveled. Because he didn't teach the way the scribes taught. He had this anointing to teach in a different way with authority. It, and that's when he started healing, healing and signs and wonders and miracles were following him. Raising the dead, healing the sick, casting out demons. But it was after he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. So the two distinctions that Jesus carried were no sin... So he was completely reconciled to the Father and he was able to be in communion with the Father, hear from the Father, see from the Father, do what the Father said. And he was completely anointed and dependent on the Holy Spirit. So, 1 John 3, 8, gives us a little picture into Jesus' mission while he was on this earth. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the enemy. Say amen. Amen. The anointing destroys the yoke. The anointing destroys the yoke. In Colossians 2.15, there's a picture of how this was accomplished. Because when Jesus was walking on this earth, he had the Holy Spirit and power. And he was destroying the works of the enemy. But he wanted to put us in a position he wanted the work to be completely destroyed and then to put us in a position to carry it forward. And he needed to defeat the enemy. He needed to take back control. And look at this scripture because it gives us a picture as to how that happened. Colossians 2.15. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. 
And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them, the powers and principalities, as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. Amen. Amen. He made a public spectacle. He stripped their power. He stripped their authority. Remember the enemies called the accuser of the brethren. The one that accuses us of sin, accuses us of wrongdoing, puts us into that place of condemnation, of not being good enough. God took that all away. Sin was completely and forever um, remitted. That means removed from us. In my study notes of Colossians 2.15, this is what it says, and it was really rich, so I wanted to share this with you. This scripture implies that between the day of crucifixion and the day of resurrection, while in the spirit realm, Jesus destroyed death. He destroyed the powers of darkness and every work of the enemy through the blood of his cross. The anointing destroyed the yoke. All the enemy's weapons had been stripped away from him. And now the church has authority in Christ to enforce this triumph upon the dethroned rulers of this world. That's us. We are the church. So the question is, what about you? What about me? I'm going to share some news with you that is so good, that is so amazing. This just takes my breath away every time I think of it. Those same two distinctions that Jesus had when he walked on this earth, we have. Yeah. The first one was that he had no sin to separate him from his father. Because of the blood of Jesus, if, if you have received the sacrifice of Jesus, if you have received salvation, if you believe, that's the only thing we have to do, is believe and confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. If you've done that, then there is no sin on your, in your spirit to separate you from God. Now, sin can affect your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. But your spirit has been perfected. So just like Jesus, no sin separates us from our Father. There's that beautiful scripture. I don't remember where it is, but it's the one that says we can come boldly before the throne of grace and receive God's grace and God's mercy for everything that we need in our time of need. We can go directly face to face with God, just like Jesus did. The second distinction is that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, and so are we. We have the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Starting next week, I'm going to be teaching a series about the Holy Spirit, about living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, because we have the same Holy Spirit. But the question is, are we dependent on him? Jesus was fully dependent on the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's our part, to receive the Holy Spirit, and then to be dependent on him and to let him be our, our guide, our leader, our advocate, our counselor, our helper. So Jesus is the Christ. We 
are Christians. Jesus's name, well, let me say that differently. The Christ isn't Jesus's second name. He's not Jesus Christ like I'm Cindy Cox. He's Jesus the Christ. Jesus the anointed one. I'm Cindy Cox, the Christian. And the word Christian means literally little Christ. Little anointed one with the same anointing that Jesus carried. We have the same distinctions he has. That's something to take home and meditate on. Now that definition for anoint that's on your paper, it's, it's near, we, I gave it to you a few minutes ago. I want to add something to it because there's two parts to the definition and I only wrote one here because I wanted to save this one just to bless you. This is right from um, Strong's Concordance. So this isn't my definition. This is from a, a biblical resource. The first definition of the word anoint is consecration and furnishing with the necessary powers for the administration of the messianic office. That's Jesus. Here's the second definition. And doing Christians with the power of the Holy Spirit to carry on the mission of Christ. We have the same anointing. And doing Christians with power of the Holy Spirit to carry on the mission of Christ. We've been commissioned. The prefix co in the word commission means with. We are with Jesus in his mission. And remember, his mission is to destroy the works of the enemy. The anointing destroys the yoke of the, of the enemy's oppression. So, how does this tie in with praise and worship? I'm glad you asked. Okay, here's the little, the little uh, summary that I started with. I'm going to repeat it, and then we're going to talk about praise. Praise is the greatest weapon we have against Satan and his daily onslaught, those little weapons that he keeps trying to get into the target of our heart. Praise literally makes Satan flee in terror when we begin to praise God. And when he praises that anointing that is within us and upon us is able to manifest itself because there's no obstruction. Praise is spiritual warfare. So I'm going to read three scriptures now. There's so many scriptures. I mean, I could go through the Bible and get many, 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 many examples of praise effectively uh, destroying the yoke of the enemy. But I've got three to share with you. The first one is Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3. I love you fervently and devotedly, O Lord, my strength. Lord, you are my rock, my fortress, and the one who rescues me. My God, my rock and strength in whom I trust and take refuge. You are my shield and the horn of my salvation. You are my high tower and my stronghold. Lord, I call upon you, you who are worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies. Amen. God's word is truth. God's word is truth. Do you notice how I didn't intentionally change the words, but do you notice how I, I just do that when I read the word? I personalize it. 
God is my tower, my refuge, my strength. You can do the same thing when you're declaring the word. So as I'm praising God with this scripture, I am putting my focus on who he is for me for now. I need him. He is my, my strength. He is my refuge. I run to him when I need help. And that's what the scripture's talking about. And then verse three says, I call upon the Lord who's worthy to be praised. And then there's a word and, and something happens. I'm saved from my enemies. Praise is a powerful weapon against the enemy. Here's another one. I'm going to read this from my Passion Bible. This is Psalm 149. I'm going to start with verse 3. Break forth with dancing. Make music and sing God's praises with the rhythm of drums. For he enjoys his faithful lovers. He adorns the humble with his beauty. And he loves to give them victory. His godly lovers triumph in the glory of God. And their joyful praises will rise even while others sleep. God's high and holy praises fill their mouths, for their shouted praises are their weapons of war. These warring weapons will bring vengeance on every opposing force and every resistant power to bind kings with chains and rulers with iron shackles. And when I think of this, I think about principalities and powers. To bind the enemy, to bind principalities and powers with chains with iron shackles. Praise-filled warriors, that's me, will enforce the judgment doom decreed against their enemies. This is the glorious honor he gives to all his godly lovers. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. So in this scripture, it talks about victory. He loves to give us a victory. It talks about triumph triumphing over the enemy. It says that our praises that come out of our mouths is a praise is a vocal expression. And when those praises come out of our mouths, they are weapons of war. It says that these weapons, our praises, will bring vengeance on every opposing force. And then it says that when we praise God, when we open our mouths with praise, we are enforcing the judgment doom against the enemy. Now, Jesus defeated the enemy, but he didn't destroy him. The enemy's still the little G, God of this world. And we see evidence of that all over the place, the stealing, the killing, the destroying. But praise is one way that we can enforce the judgment doom. What we're doing is we're using the anointing, the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit within us to defeat the works of the enemy. And that's good. This is a powerful tool that we can use in our healing journey. Any journey, actually. Any day. Anything that you're going through. The last scripture that I want to share with you isn't a, a story. It's a Bible account. And it's a, a, from the book of Second Chronicles. I'm going to start in verse 15 because of the length of the, the um, account. But I want to give you just a tiny bit of background first. This is a story about a king. It's a true account about a king named King Jehoshaphat who was fighting against three armies, or I shouldn't say that. Three armies were coming to attack him. The army of Moab, Mo, um, Ammon, and Mount Seir. 
there, there were so many more. He was so outnumbered that he knew there was no way that he could possibly win. So this is what he did. First, he set himself to seek the Lord. Then he proclaimed a fast for himself and for the whole, um, um, throughout all of Judah. Then he gathered the people together and he prayed. And there's this long prayer in the first 15 verses. But in the prayer, I noticed there are two or three things that Jehoshaphat does. The first thing he does is he declares how big his God is. He speaks and he praises and declares how amazing and great and powerful and awesome his God is. That's the first thing he does. The second thing he does is he declares what God has promised already. In, it's way back in, in earlier in the Bible. And in my big Bible, I have the reference of what he's praying about, the promise he's speaking. But the, the gist of it is that these three countries, Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, were never to be able to take over the promised land because of, of the way that it all unfolded when the exodus happened and the people took their position, their, their pieces of land. So they had no right because of the way God ordained it. So these three countries had no right to come and do this. So he's giving God back his word. He's speaking the promises. And then he's saying, God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. Boy, have I been in that place of not knowing what to do, but saying, God, you do. I'm just coming to you because you know what to do. And after he prayed that long prayer, a prophet received a word from the Lord and he gave it to the people. He gave it to King Jehoshaphat and the people. And this is the prophetic word. Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jerul. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Wow. What an amazing prophetic word. So God spoke to this pe- to the people. And he said, you don't need to be afraid because you don't need to fight. I'm going to fight for you. This isn't your battle. This is my battle. He said, he gave them some direction where, they, where the opposing armies were going to come from. And then he said, you don't need to fight. Just position yourself and stand still and wait and see. Oh, I love it. He says, don't be afraid. God is with you. After they received that prophetic word, this is what happened. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, God of Israel, with voices loud and high. So they were praising and worshiping. They hadn't yet received the end. They hadn't received the answer to their prayer, but they were praising and worshiping. Then the next day, they rose early in the morning and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. 
And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and he said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. So he's encouraging his people to believe. Just believe. That's what we do here. We encourage you. God did his part. Just believe. Trust God. That's what Jehoshaphat was doing. They didn't understand how it was going to happen. But he said, just believe. And then when he consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. He had a plan. This had to come from God. His plan was to put the praisers and worshipers out in front of the army. They took their instruments and they were set ahead of the army to praise the God of holiness, to worship him with loud voices and instruments. Verse 22. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And then when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. So the, the two armies fought against the third army, and killed all of them. And then they turned against each other and killed, self-slaughtered. They killed one another. And when Jehoshaphat came and overlooked the wilderness, they were all dead. And they hadn't had to fight in the battle at all. But what I really want to show you, I want to go back and read one verse again. Verse 22. Listen to this. Now, when they began to sing in praise... The Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. The word Judah means praise. Moab, Ammon, and Mount Seir came against praise, and they were defeated. The anointing destroys the yoke. The enemy can completely be destroyed and defeated through the spiritual warfare of praise. Now, in the little box on your paper, there's some awesome nuggets I just want to share with you. We don't have to spend all our time rebuking and casting down every possible thing that could come against us. Our best defense is a good offense. As we praise and worship God, the enemy flees in terror, and the anointing of God is manifest. If you want to torment the devil, start praising God. If you want to confuse the devil, that's what happened with the armies. Start praising God. If you want to stop the attack of the devil, start praising God. Amen. 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 Now, I've got two testimonies to share that give evidence to this. The first story is about a man named Bob. This happened years ago in um, Discover Church, the little white church in Utica where Pastor Tim 
had his meetings for a long time, and we were there at that time. This man came and shared his testimony. Pastor Tim had been sharing the power of praise, just like I am now. And this man applied this in a life and death situation. He lived by himself, and while he was home one day, he started to have very severe symptoms of a heart attack. He had chest pains. He had cold sweats. He had uh, uh, um, uh, lack of clarity. Everything, everything was looking like a heart attack. He called his daughter, told her what was happening, and his daughter says, call 911 right now. Don't you get in the car and drive. Call 911. So he did. Called 911, opened his, unlocked his front door, and then he went and he put on praise music. And he started praising God. The ambulance came, took him to the hospital. They did the test that they do to check the heart to see if he's been having a heart attack or what's been going on. And the test showed that he had been in the midst of a heart attack, but the heart attack was aborted. Amen. He was praising God. The enemy ran and flee, and the anointing destroyed the yoke. He was sent home from the hospital. His heart was not damaged because it was aborted, just like this, this thing with Jehoshaphat. Isn't that awesome? The second testimony I got this morning, God is so good. I have a prayer partner I pray with every day. And um, yesterday... I was praying with her, and she, um, I'm not going to tell what her prayer need was, but it was very big. It is an ongoing need, and it's a huge need in her life. And I have been standing in agreement with her for literally years. I don't know why, but the Holy Spirit, I do know, God knew. The Holy Spirit prompted me after our prayer to stop, and I said, Karen, you need to praise God. Today, get your worship music, your praise music out, put it on, and start praising God. And she said, okay, okay, I'll do that. So today, I I talked to her. She said, Cindy, I have to tell you, something happened. She said, for three days, I felt like I couldn't do anything. I couldn't get up. I couldn't do anything. I I, I, I was so oppressed. She has fought in her past. She has fought big-time depression. Now, she's been healed of that for years, and she hasn't had any issue. But for three days, she was in this place of oppression. She said, when I started praising God, it broke. She says, I feel completely different. I feel like I'm alive again. Now, this is a woman I've known for many, many years. I prayed with her every day for 10 years. Well, every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today, she had a breakthrough, or yesterday she had a breakthrough with this very tool that I'm giving you. It's God's tool, it's not mine. It's his will for us to defeat the enemy with our praises. He did the work, all we need to do is enforce it. So what we're going to do right now, we're going to praise, absolutely. We're going to put on a song, we're going to stand up, we're going to declare the beautiful name of Jesus, the wonderful name of Jesus, and the powerful name of Jesus. So let's go do some spiritual warfare.